Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by co-hosts Brett Hornig and Leah Yingling to preview the men's and women's races at the 2022 Havelina 100. We analyze the course, discuss our favorite storylines, and conclude by making our top five and golden ticket picks. Before we dive in, if you are a fan of Single Track, please consider supporting the show with a rating and review in your favorite podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsored discount codes located in the show notes section of this episode. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you for listening. And with that, let's get started. Leah, it's been a minute since you've been on the pod. How's it going? What's up with you? Oh, I'm doing well. Just uh, enjoying the first snowfall that we have in Salt Lake City. Just got it this weekend, and I think winter is here to stay. So perfect training environment for my race in Thailand in two weeks, where it's going to be 86 degrees and 100% humidity. I will totally echo that. We're in like the perfect time of the year where it's still fall, but kind of winter, and you have all those orange, reds, other fall colors out. It's spectacular time. Brett, what's up with you? So they've always said that training in the heat was poor man's altitude training. Does the opposite work? <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. Uh, yeah, it seems like summer finally ended here in Ashland as well. It's just been a cold rain for the last few days. So I guess perfect end to a Havelina training block because I actually have gotten pretty warm weather all the way up until about now. Right on. Yeah, you got a big race on Saturday. Yeah, I know. Talking about it right now is like making my hands sweat a little bit, but I'm going to try my best. <laughs> are we Are we allowed to pick? Do we have the psychological safety to pick for and against you in this episode? Go for it. I mean, <laughs> I, if I can't handle it, I'm, I'm going to get eaten alive out there. So Awesome. Well, this is our third time coming together. We did this for Speed Goat, did it for UTMB. We're back again for Javelina. In terms of table of contents, we'll uh, we'll analyze the course, talk about what it's going to take to be successful. We'll touch on all the interesting storylines, and we'll make our predictions for the podium, I think, as well as who we think is going to take the golden tickets. In terms of where we start, I mean, Leah, what's uh, what's interesting to you about this race? Like, What gets you excited to, to talk about Javelina? Yeah, Havelina is a fun one to discuss because I think there's a lot that goes into it and it really plays to different people's skill sets. Um, and something that I think is interesting is the heat dynamic, uh, the runnability of the terrain, um, really the fluctuation in weather that you can get during the day. Um, and I think this year, especially on the women's side, are the women returners. Um, who have succeeded here in the past and coming in with experience combined with a lot of newcomers as well. I think that's going to make for a really dynamic race and uh, whoever can weather the elements the best, I think will come out on top. So I think it's going to make for a fun one. Um, I think similar on the men's side as well. Um, I think there's two men returning who have top 10 times compared to six women who have top 10 times here. So um, yeah, combination of experience, um, and less experience, I think it'll make it really fun. I was talking to Pat Regan in, in one of the pre-race interviews, and he talks about how this is a, a surprisingly technical race in the sense that you, it is a runnable course, but you need all of this gear and you need to be on top of like just elements like what you need for gators and top cooling and stuff like that. So there, there, I think there's a lot of interesting factors that come into 
play in addition to needing to be fit and running well and heat acclimated. Um, but we'll get into it. Brett, how about you? What's interesting to you about this race? Uh, it's, it's a race that's been kind of on my radar, you know, just in terms of having followed it most years and kind of increasingly wanting to also run it. Uh, when I started working at Rogue Valley Runners here in Ashland, uh, I think Hal Kerner had just won the race. So it was kind of early on my radar in regards to just uh, how kind of different it was from a lot of other trail races that I'd heard about initially of, you know, it, it's not, it's not a blow up friendly course, but it sounds like it's one that is also easy to blow up on. Um, and I guess, I mean, like what I mean by it's not a blow up friendly course is if all of a sudden you don't have the power in you to run and you're just hiking, you're just walking, uh, for seemingly no reason. Uh, so it's definitely a course that kind of caters to someone who is very good at doing one thing very continuously. And because you're, you know, the course records are, you know, they're fast. It's, it's a pretty fast hundred. There's a lot of little details that matter even more, you know, when you're out there for only 13 hours, a lot of the little things, you know, become amplified where you could, you, you know, the difference between five minutes of stoppage time could be the difference between multiple places. Uh, so, you know, kind of going back to what you said about Patrick Reagan talking about how technical the race is. I think that's where a lot of the technicality is and that it's still a hundred miles that you have to cover on foot, but you have to be quite a bit more precise, uh, which is really intriguing. Leah, how do you, when you think about this race from like a heat acclimation and strategy standpoint, do you see a lot of similarities to Western states or is it, is it even like a, a step function above that? No, I really do. And I think listening to your interview with Patrick really uh, highlighted a lot of those things as well, because I mean, it's similar to Western states in that you need to be topically cooling all day long. You need to be pacing appropriately. And I think it goes back to uh, what Brett was just saying in terms of strategy and being precise. I think this race especially plays to those science thinkers, those planners, those people who are planning for all those uncontrollables um, and having a plan in place, you know, the Nick Corys, the Patrick Reagans, the people who have done this a couple times, I think we'll see Excel. And I think this is what makes Havelina a nice golden ticket race. Um, it was it's one of the few hundred mile races um, that can get you into Western States, but I actually think it's pretty representative of some of the elements you'll see at Western States. Obviously, not all of them. Um, it's quite a bit less mountainous than Western states. But I think if you can kind of weather those elements and be heat acclimated and be prepared in that respect, um, you have a leg up whenever you get into Western states. What does the weather look like for race day? I don't know if either one of you know, but I guess I'm curious, like what's the, what's the, what's it going to top out at during the day? And then maybe also interesting, how precipitously is it going to drop when it gets dark? So I just checked the handy dandy weather.com, which I'm sure someone will crucify me for using that as my weather website. But as of right now, the forecast shows the high being 81, which has actually crept up a couple degrees from a few days ago, uh, low of 56 and talking to people who have run the race. It sounds like, you know, in the morning, as soon as the sun comes up over the hills, the temperature just like like straight up 
to the high and then just stays there until it dips behind the hills. And that that's like one of the most common bits of advice that I've heard from people who've run the race is like, be prepared for the temperature to drop, you know, 30 degrees as soon as the sun goes behind the hills, mm-hmm. um, which wow. a lot of it's, you know, 80 down to 50 or 80 down to, you know, 55 doesn't sound that, that big of a change ordinarily. But if you're 80 miles into a race and you're in a spot where you're simply just not able to run harder to generate more heat, that is where a lot of people run into problems getting too cold because you, you, it's hard to do most of anything once you've already covered 80 miles. So it sounds like being, being prepared for whatever loop that might be on, uh, when the temperatures come down is, is really important, but you know, 81, that's, I think right about on average from most years, uh, cooler than last year, but we'll definitely still feel very warm because I'm also hearing that there is zero shade out there on the course. So it's just full sun exposure the entire time you're out there. Leah, you sent the group that awesome Twitter thread, I think last night or the night before someone on Twitter, their their name is escaping me, but they deserve a medal for what they put together. Just all of these interesting stats about the race in terms of like how precipitously the times have dropped on the men's and women's sides. And I, I think what I was most interested in is how the dynamics of the race change as soon as it becomes a golden ticket and there's a new carrot in front of the runners. And uh, did anything stick out to you in terms of like what's happened with the race since I think it was 2020 or 2021 when it became a ticket? Like, are you, are you expecting uh, times to fall or just like a, a larger proportion of the men's or the women's fields landing within a certain range because of uh, what's at stake? Yeah, 100%. Um, something that jumped out to me was um, the last couple years for the women to be on the podium, you have to be right around sub six, 16 hours or sub 16 to be on the podium there. Um, I think last year, Tessa Chesser might have been 16, 15 or so. Um, and then on the men's side, that's gotten, that's gotten substantially faster as well. Like in the past, 16 hours could have gotten you on the podium for the men. And now I would say this year, I think if you run – sub 14, you'll be in the top five. And I think I can pretty much guarantee that. Um, but I, I'd say for the podium this year, it's going to be interesting on the men's side. I'd probably say sub 13, 30 um, for the top three. What I saw too over the years too is just like the depths and the gaps. The gap is closing in terms of, um, you know, the spread from first place to third place, first place to fifth place as well. Um, last year yeah. on the women's side, it was a little bit different with Camille setting a pretty drastic course record. I think she took nearly 40 or 50 minutes off of yeah. the prior course record. Um, and I know we'll get into talking about, you know, the course records can be threatened this year, but I think that's what we're seeing. The times are getting a lot closer. Um, the men's spread last year, I think was 35 minutes for the podium. And I think we're going to see something really similar this year. Maybe last thing we cover before we get into women's and men's fields discussion is uh, what we think it's going to take to be successful at this race. I know we just talked about um, all of the strategy that goes into being heat adapted and performing from like a technical standpoint in those conditions. But like Brett, when you're looking at Strava files for all these different contenders, uh, what are you looking for in their training that gives you indication they're ready for a big day? This is a tough one. Um, I, 
it's hard to say whether someone putting out like monster marathon workouts, but maybe not necessarily going as much hundred mile specific training is going to be more prepared for Javelina than say someone who just like did their Western States training again, like just trained for a trail race and then throws themselves into a flatter hundred. I can't quite tell what the, like, and, and you know, the formula is definitely going to be different for everyone, but uh, you know, while there's a, you know, a speed element to the race, I don't know if it's really so much speed, but more so just steady running, um, you know, cause I mean, if you run seven, seven minute pace, you're going to win um, compared to like, it, like the equivalent level marathon training for these people who are winning the race, you know, like that is very slow. Um, so I think, you know, at the end of the day, you still kind of need to be prepared to cover a hundred miles. Um, and it, you know, no matter how fit you are on the top end, if your body's not ready to cover a hundred miles, it's not going to do anything. Um, so, and you know, that's going to vary from person to person too, knowing you know, how much volume they need to, you know, cover the distance. Um, but there's definitely been like a pretty wide range of what I've seen across Strava from, you know, like basically like, like 70 miles a week looks like they're training for a 50 K or marathon all the way up to, you know, 140, 130 miles a week of still quite a bit of climbing and just big time on feet. Um, and I wouldn't say that any one strategy has proved better than the other at a race like this. What did you subscribe to in your own training? I went the, uh, run more route, which is actually something I've never done. Um, you know, talking to some of my fellow trails and tarmac coaches about like just the hundred mile in general. And, you know, one of the things that's always stuck with me is like, you need to be able to get the body to cooperate for a hundred miles first before you can figure out running it fast or racing it or anything like that. And that's like, for me, always been my biggest problem with long races is like my legs just kind of start to explode. So I've put a lot more emphasis on time on feet, you know, getting in a good amount of vert, like just trying to get my body stronger and hopefully the, you know, mm -hmm. smaller amount of intensity that I've had in the week is, is enough, but, uh, it has been fun to just train differently for than I have in the past for a long race. So I'm excited to see kind of what happens. How about you, Leah, when you were looking at the fields and you were studying the Strava files, anything, any other factors that were high on your list for, uh, for making predictions? Yeah, I think for me, it, I think what I was looking at are the people who have experience at the distance, have experience at this race or similar races. Um, but then also people who are incorporating some amount of speed work, I think, I mean, on the men's side, for example, there it's really easy to look at a certain guy's training and see like these just insane uh, speed workouts that they've been throwing down. But then you also have to think about like their history competing at the distance, their history of competing in hot races and like getting carried away with uh, the competition, which I think the competition this year and getting carried away with it is going to play a huge piece. Like I think the fact that this is a golden ticket race is going to predict how a lot of these men go out. For example, I think men go out a little bit more aggressively and with 
um, more of their egos than women tend to. So I predict some blowups, um, but I think that's how I was making a lot of my predictions was who's been consistent, but who's also been shown a lot of leg speed this past year as well. And who has shown that they can have some strategy involved um, and control for those things. I think something about Havelina that's interesting, and I think this will play into people's hands are those people who know what shape they're in. So somebody who's able to approach this race and say, I'm in 14 hour shape today. And they approach the race that way rather than somebody who's like actually in 14 hour pace shape and thinking, Hey, I could run 13 hours on my best day. I think that's going to hurt people who kind of approach it in that way. Mm. Well, I'm excited. I think, uh, I think we got to get right into the women's and men's fields, uh, predictions here. And, uh, maybe we start with the women's side and we can go around the table, but Leah, what are some of the most interesting storylines on the women's side that, that stick out to you that you're excited to follow? Um, so first off, this is more of like a blanket statement about the women's field. Um, but there are seven women who have been in the top 11 at Western States in the last few years. Um, and I say top 11 because there's two of these people that were 11th place. Um, so I didn't really dig super deep down the list, but just based on my like quick observation and knowledge of ultra running in the last five years or so. Um, so yeah, this is Michelle Magagna, Casey Lichty, mm. Devin Yanko, Anne-Marie Madden, Nicole Bitter, Brittany Peterson, and Kat Drew. Um, and that entire list is also people who have won golden tickets in recent years. Um, so I'm thinking that these people want another shot at Western States. They want to see what they can do and they're trying to race their way back in. Um, and this is how they're doing it. What's interesting to me is that people, those people that I just listed have run Western States at different times. Like I think Devin Yanko raced Western States in 2017. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Casey, you know, she's had her wins at Western States. Um, five plus years ago now. Um, whereas some of these pe other girls on the list have run Western States in more recent years um, and had success. And I will say like winning a golden ticket in recent years seems to have gotten a little bit more competitive. Um, so I think I put a little bit more stake in those women who have won golden tickets in recent years, um, a little bit less compared to those from more like the 2015 era. Mm. Brett, how about you? Any other storylines for you? Yeah, I mean, there's kind of one, well, when I was looking through a lot of the entrants, one race that kept, that came up a couple times was the 2022 Bandera 100K. I think there was like sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth place from Bandera this year, all running Javelina. Uh, so th there's just like a little reunion wow. in that regard, which I thought that was kind of fun. Um <laughs> Yeah, there, there's also, um, yeah, there's just an interesting mix of very experienced people who is like, oh yeah, if they have their day, you know, they will be on the podium for sure. But then there's also the like, well, they've haven't maybe been on the podium for a number of years, but that doesn't mean it's like completely ruled out. Um, so there's, a, there's like some bigger question marks, uh, for some people, but I think that's also just going to make for a really exciting race. Um, I'm really curious to see how Annie Hughes runs. Uh, you know, this is mm. very different from her recent races and 
you know, listen, listening to your, you know, your interview with her was also interesting uh, in that, you know, it, it immediately took me back to the famous Marshawn Lynch interview before the Super Bowl, where he was just like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> uh, but, but that doesn't mean he didn't try hard. Like he still put forth his best effort and played very well, like as I imagine Annie is also going to do. So, you know, even if she just has to be here, I wouldn't count her out by any means considering her, she's been on a bit of a winning streak. I think the last time she didn't win a race was before Leadville of 2021, which was, it, there was one, two, three, 400 milers and two, 200 milers. So that's a pretty solid, you know, just track record of victories. All right. I have so many questions to throw back out to you guys based off this. The first thing, Leah, those Western state stats were awesome. And you can fact check me here, but I'm pretty sure. I don't think there's anybody on the women's side that's in contention. That's already booked their ticket to Western states, right? Like they're all fighting to get back in. Is that yeah, true? that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think Anne-Marie Madden ran the 11th, the fastest 11th Just place missed. time mm-hmm. at Western states ever this year. So she missed on getting back into the top 10 by, I think, maybe like five or 10 minutes, um, which was unfortunate. But yeah, you're right. Not a single person on here has a golden ticket or entry in already, um, which I don't think can be said. Like most of the other golden ticket races this year, I think there was at least an entrant or two already in the race. So this will definitely yeah. be a race for top two. Super, and I think that might even further support your argument that the women's field will go out a little bit more conservatively to not blow up and to stay in contention for the ticket. Like as opposed to the men's side, there's already two guys, uh, Arlen Glick and, um, and Pat Regan who are either already in Western or have said that they're not going to mm-hmm. race next year. Yeah. Maybe that those facts alone will create more recklessness on the men's side. And we'll get into that in a second, but I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, that's One true. other question I want to throw out to you guys on the women's side. Um, we saw on Twitter some folks saying that this is like one of, if not the deepest race, uh, American race of 2022. And I'm curious, maybe Leah, starting with you, how deep do you think this field is? And in perspective, how deep is it compared to all the other major American races on the circuit for 2022? Yeah, this is a fun question because my husband, Mike, and I were just debating this last night. Um, I think this race compares very similarly to Bandera this year on all fronts. I think if you look at the men person by person, um, the race has very similar athletes coming to the table for this. I think on the women's side too, and Brett mentioned it himself by mentioning like it almost looks like a reunion of sorts from the Bandera race. And then if you were to (laughs) pluck out, you know, a couple of the people who were ahead of the field at Bandera, um, yeah, I think this is a very similar field to Bandera. Um, and I don't think I would say this is like the second most competitive race in the U S this year by any means. Um, I, I think there's a lot of 50 Ks that are also competitive, um, that are getting the attention they should. But, um, yeah, I think like West, I think Canyons was a little bit more competitive than this. Um, at least on the women's side, um, men's side too, but I think, yeah, I would definitely align this very similarly with Bandera. I don't know about you Mm. guys. Brett, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I think it, it will be the deepest hunt, you know, race that wasn't Western States. If 
every single person has their best day, but that's not going to happen. It never has and (laughs) ever will. Um, So, you know, and so I think, you know, like at at Canyons this past year, like we had to go like 50 people deep looking at the entrance list to figure out who was going to be in our top fives. I didn't, I didn't have to go 50 people deep uh, at, for this race. Um, I think at the, you know, the very top end, you know, top two, top three, uh, you know, all, all of these races now, they're pretty much the same across the board in terms of the, the podium. But if mm. we're going, you know, deeper to top 10 or top 20, even, um, I think there have been some other races this year that have had, you know, just a little bit more depth, which I, you know, I kind of understand that. I mean, we're approaching the, you know, the end of the, 2022 racing season uh some people have already you know shut their seasons down and or or are broken or something you know it seems like there's a little bit more health going on in the the spring months uh at least lately so uh but you know i think you know kind of like you know leah said earlier though too the time the time gaps between say first and fifth place is probably going to be smaller this year than, you know, recent years, uh, at Havelina. One more question on this front that I want to throw out to you guys, uh, right. You mentioned Annie Hughes earlier and she's already had this great season. The final piece is Havelina. How much of a factor does this race play? If each of us had votes for ultra runner of the year, how much of a factor does this race play on your ballot and does a bad performance here? affect anything does a good performance here affect anything i'm very curious and i don't know brett you want to lead well i mean i think a good performance helps a bad performance definitely hurts you know i would i'm i you should be paying attention to both who whoever whoever it is that is determining this ultra runner of the year um we'll we'll do a deeper dive on that at a later time but you know i think it for you know someone like you know annie hughes you know i'm not I'm not going to say like she is for sure going to be ultra runner of the year, but you know, saying if she's in like that top three contention right now is, is there something that she would need to do at this race to like solidify her as number one? I think it would Mm -hmm. take a lot uh, because, you know, these are some great wins, but you know, we can't forget what Courtney DeWalter just did the other weekend and has done all year, which are like, all like perhaps more monstrous performances, even though there's been a few less of them. That's where, that's where I don't know. Like, I don't know where I stand on the ultra runner of the year debate versus like two or three amazing performances versus six great performances. What, what ranks you higher? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know that, that could, that could be an entire debate, but, um, you know, I think it is important though, if, if this, if ultra run of the year is something that Annie cares about at all, it is important to have a good race at Havelina. Leah, how do you think about this? Yeah. I'm just looking on the women's side right now, for example, and I don't think this race is determining for too many women on here. Like I think maybe Annie and Devin Yanko 
potentially. Um, this race could be like a determining factor. Like I think if Devin went out and won the race, that would that combined with her Umstead time from this year would was pretty compelling to definitely get her in the top ten this year. So I think it could impact somebody like her, like making her way into the top 10 this year. Um, And then somebody Mm -hmm. like Annie, it's interesting too, because I think the one argument some have made kind of against Annie's performances this year is like she hasn't stacked up against really significant deep competition before. And I think this is the first time we really see her stacking up against deep competition. So if she won, that would be phenomenal and people that would give her other results a little bit more validity to people however let's say she got like a fifth place it might have let people like nod their heads and say okay that's about where i would have expected her to be if she had a little bit more competition in her other races um so i think that would give her results a little bit more clarity to some in this like Uroy conversation great points who are your uh if, if we talk about podium here for a second and golden tickets uh what, what are your picks on the women's side and why we go in, we go in top five, we go in top three. I'm going top five on the men's side because some of my picks are going to have to, my golden tickets are going to have to roll down, but, uh, okay. We can well, I'll just both. go top five because I've got, let's do it. Okay. So first off, I think I might've said this on like a past podcast or something, but I really do think Canadians are having a moment. Um, so I've got some, some Canadians in my top five for the women because I think they're having a phenomenal year. And I know we had a lot of Canadians light up at Western States and do quite well this year as well. And I think Marianne Hogan was evidence of her phenomenal year too and rep in Canada. Um, so I'll go from five up. I've got Brittany Peterson in fifth. Um, she's had a pretty long year and she had a solid performance here last year. I don't know how much of her heart and energy was really in it and Part of me is kind of wondering the same thing this year as well. Um, just kind of wanting to some resolve on the year that she just had um, and kind of using Havelina as um, part of her vision quest to, you know, find some love for the sport again. So I think she'll uh, have a solid finish out there, but I have her in fifth. Um, Nicole Bitter, she's run, I think, the third fastest time here, just over 15 hours she hasn't done a ton lately. And actually in recent years, she's been stepping out of her wheelhouse a little bit more and doing a little bit more mountainous races, which I would say she hasn't been really, you know, at the top of the podium in any of these races, but I think she's been putting herself out there. But I do think a return to Havelina is really where she excels exponentially, um, especially relative to her competition. Uh, so I think she ran like a three 30 something 50 K this year um, and just has the leg speed. And I think knows exactly what she's doing at Havelina. So I, uh, I think she'll have a solid race out there as well. Um, got Stephanie flipping in third. Uh, yeah. Finn, I really enjoyed your podcast with her because I don't know much about her. I just know that she's been dominating the flat and kind of like rail trail type scene. This hundred mile, 24 hour type events the last couple years. Um, it sounds like she did have trail experience before that and kind of whenever she was in residency and whatnot, she just did what was most efficient in terms of running. And it ended up being these flat, fast things. So I'm really excited to see her race against pretty deep competition at Havelina and really see how she stacks up because I think somebody from a medical and like science background approaches these races pretty methodically. And I think she's going to be one of those people. Um, and then my top two, I got Kat Drew in second. Um, yeah, Kat Drew got a golden ticket at Canyons a few years back. And then I think ran eighth place at Western States and then might have run Western States an additional time. Um, 
she just had a really great road marathon in the middle of her training without any taper running 249 at the Victoria marathon, I believe. Um, so I think, I think she's got the leg speed. I think the fact that she could run that in the middle of a big training block for Western States, uh, is evidence that she's got some good fatigue resistance going on right now. And I think ready to, uh, throw down this year. And I don't think she's raced much this year as well. So I think that element of being fresh will be helpful for her when it comes uh, time for a golden ticket hunt. And then I got Anne-Marie Madden in first. Um, I really think she had a great Black Canyon this year running super conservative. Um, I ran with her a good bit at Western States too. And even after the fact, she said like she had a lot left to give. Um, And it was kind of unfortunate to see her back in 11th place because like she totally has top 10 potential and should be really up there in the mix. So I think she learned a lot at Western States and I'm really excited to see how she applies it all at Havelina. It's very interesting with Anne-Marie. Lee, I think we were talking back about UT, post-UTMB, we were talking about how fast the CCC field went out, the women's side especially, and how there were a lot of people that just planned their days based on times from the previous year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know... Um, if this was the case with, Mar- uh, with Anne Marie, but, um, I mean, the time she ran last year would have been a solidly top 10 time any other year. So very interesting. Exactly. Yeah. It's, she's a solid racer too. She knows what she's doing. Um, she's methodical. She's smart. She definitely approaches it with strategy. So I think that's going to help her out a lot in this race. How about you, Brett? What are your picks? I should probably just lie and be like, Whoa, Leah, we actually had the exact same picks. Whoa. <laughs> So cool. <laughs> they couldn't be more different. Um, and uh, I'm just going off of just going, going with my gut on this one, you know, like usual. Um, like it always works. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're just running off of emotion and experience at this point. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to give fifth place to KC Lichtag. Uh, her, you know, her running has been a little bit more hot, cold in the last, you know, year, year and a half than, than in the past, but it seems like the last like five or six weeks, she's hit a pretty good groove. Um, and you know, so much of a hundred mile does come down to like your mental headspace and, you know, how you're feeling just leading up to the race. And it seems that seems like she's in a good spot. And, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to put her in my, in my top five. Fourth, uh, I've got Stephanie Flippin, which I was debating whether to push her up into my podium or not. And I didn't, I guess, for this race, just because it's it's almost like a step up in like technical difficulty in terms of just the trail and the course, because there are some rocks out there on the course. You know, it sounds like every lap has a couple miles where you do have to actually pay attention to what you're doing. Um, like even like Arlen Glick last year, he like kicked a cactus and had to pull stuff out of his leg. Uh, so when you, when you're dealing with elements like that, like some of those things can still slow you down. Um, third place, I've got Brittany Peterson. Uh, I think, I think she's ready for kind of just like a bounce back kind of race. Like even though the results haven't quite been where she's, you know, where she's wanted them to be this year, uh, you know, there's definitely still a large amount of training that's gone into 2022. And, you know, a lot of the times it just, it just takes like one day for everything to start to click right again. So 
I'm just going to, you know, gamble on this day being that day. And, uh, so that's, that's third. And then second, I've got Annie Hughes. She's just going to muscle out a solid Javelina. Um, which, cause it's not like, like, yeah, she's run really good mountain races, but, uh, she ran for Adams state in college, right? Um, they're like, yeah. they're, they're like the D two powerhouse who it's like them or Chico are winning nationals like every single year. Um, and everyone's like, they should just be moving up to D one. So, um, to even be able to, you know, be on that team and run for an amount of time for Adam state, like there's, there's running, there's a lot of running talent in, in, in there. So, uh, I think, I think that will show, uh, at a race like this. Um, and then first place I'm going Devin Yanko and that's completely after the blog post that you sent me, Leah, of her most recent one where, uh, you know, there's, you know, she's had more ups and downs in the past year than perhaps anyone in this field. And, but I just really like what she said, um, in kind of like the last third where it's like, I can't just be standing on the start line as a competitor. Like if I can remind myself and continually be in the moment of like, I'm out here because I like running. I like what I'm doing. Um, and kind of finding that, 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 you know, that joy in the process and, you know, just being out there and doing it. Um, you know, Devin, Devin was the former course record holder on this race. Right. I think, yeah. uh, so she knows what it takes to run, you know, one of, you know, a very fast time on this course and is a returner to this race. Um, so she has that experience. She's run a very wide, you know, range of different types of hundred milers. So, um, you know, while you do have to be, you know, precise in this race, you know, there's always going to be a moment of like having to do something on the fly or audibling a little bit. And, you know, someone who has as much experience as her is going to be able to, you know, make that, that decision as you need to make it, but it also be the right one. Or the, and I guess, so I've got, I've got her as the win, but I don't know if either Devin or Annie, would they, would either of them take golden tickets if, if they were to get them? So I heard from Annie that she will not, she's likely not going to take the ticket if she gets it because her goal is hard. It's all contingent on hard rock getting into hard rock next year. Yeah. And I could see Devin taking it. I know like COVID year, um, she had aspirations of doing the grand slam and I could see this being her way of getting her way back into an easier path into the grand slam rather than trying to get in off the lottery it's easier with the golden ticket. So something I want to add, she was definitely a wild card in my book as well. Um, like you mentioned, she's had such high highs this year, but also pretty drastic lows. Mm-hmm. I think she was recently diagnosed with lupus, um, but then also just came off a DNF at the Hennepin 100 where she made it 50 miles and ran 623 for those 50 miles, which is just astounding. Um, so I think she's got to be the fastest person in the field by far. Um and I think she's coming into this race with a little less high mileage as she normally does and higher volume. Um, so I actually think that's going to benefit her and keeping her a little bit more fresh. I just, yeah, I'm pulling for her. All right. I'll, I'll give you my picks. And one thing I'll say first with most races, it's funny. I'm usually more excited by like the women's field or the men's field, just given who's in it. But this is maybe the first race we've analyzed together where I am equally as excited by both fields. 
Um, I'll leave with my hot take, which is that Annie Hughes will not be in the top five. Uh, she said, I think before Run Rabbit Run on a social media post that she was starting to feel the fatigue coming on from all the work she's put in this year. And she was able to overcome that during Run Rabbit Run or it just didn't manifest like she thought it would. A part of me wonders if that's going to transfer here. She's just asked so much of herself this year and she's had impressive results at some of the toughest races, like the gutsiest 200 milers in these mountain hundreds. And that's a lot to ask. Like she's already done 400s this year. It's, it's a lot. And then, um, she said that, you know, she was coming to Javelina more out of obligation to sponsor than having this strong why of like the course inspires me and I want to be here for X, Y, Z personal reasons. So that's my hot take. Uh, that said, Brett, extremely talented runner, went to Adam state, clearly having a very top of the pack Uroy type year. So I hope to be wrong, but my top five, five is Nicole bitter. My spark notes here is in addition to everything you guys have said, she's Arizona based. I, I see that as an advantage. Fourth is Brittany Peterson for me. Uh, after my interview with her, I'm, I'm sort of rooting for her. I think good things usually happen when you start getting more introspective about why you're in the sport and what motivates you and building off of that. Third for me is Stephanie Flippin. Uh, she clearly wants the ticket. I think when I was talking with all these folks in the pre-interviews, she was the one that's her and Dakota Jones seemed like the most enthusiastic about this pursuit. And Leah, she kind of reminds me of you like being in the medical field and just having this like true love and commitment to the sport. So I'm super stoked for her. And my flyer at number two is Heather Jackson. I would encourage folks to check out her Wikipedia and Instagram page. She is a world champion, uh, iron woman. And I think she's probably actually the best at pure athlete in the field. This would be, I think this is going to be her first ultra, but I'm very excited to see how she does. And then, uh, Leah, we share the same winner of the race, Anne-Marie Madden. I'll echo everything you said. And I also think that, you know, we can't forget she has desert experience. She got her golden ticket at Black Canyon last year, and she's proved that she can run on this terrain well. So uh, those are my picks. And yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that Anne-Marie and Heather take the tickets to go to Western States as well. That's solid. I think our picks are pretty similar, Finn. I think Brett's going to have to, you know, try to uh, this is this is going to be the one where I'm going to be like, ha, I told you so. That's what you said last time. That's what I've said every time. <laughs> well, let's talk men's field storylines. Brett, what are, what are some of the most interesting storylines in the men's field that uh, stick out to you? I think... On the men's side, the race is going to be a shit show. Um, <laughs> and I, that's like, yeah, I think I think there's there's been a lot of talk of like, this is the this is a, as good a year as it's ever going to be to break 13 hours. And y- y- they're probably right. But with, you know, committing to that means like high risk, high reward, uh, there's going to be some blowups and, you know, for most of these, you know, people who are going to be in, you know, contention to win running at 13 hour pace for the first hundred K is, is very doable. Um, you know, it's then who can run 13 hour pace for the next 40 miles. Um, and that's going to make the race very interesting. Um, cause there probably will be, you know, a, a lead pack, and a chase pack 
and it'll be a fun game of, you know, cat and mouse after the first 50 K of, you know, will, how many people will get caught? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, kind of like you said as well, you know, there's perhaps some slightly wider range of reasons why people are coming and running this race on the men's side. Um, like, like Arlen Glick, you know, he won it last year. He got third at Western States. He just ran run rabbit. Like, why are you here? Um, you know, and it sounds like he is here because he wants to run a race where he finishes and he feels like, yes, I checked all the boxes for that race. Everything I, you know, I executed the way I wanted to. So he still has that drive of just like, I didn't feel great about the races I've had so far this year. And I, I'm chasing that one that I feel really good about. Um, so that's exciting. You know, Patrick Reagan, like course record holder, he's won the race three times. He knows, you know, every inch of the course and what it's going to take to win. Um, and I think if he wants to win, he's probably going to have to PR on this course, which would be a course record if he wins. Um, another name that I thought, I don't, I don't, you know, if I'm really going to say like, this is like a top five or, you know, so a contender, but Owen Thornton, uh, is 18 years old and is, is he our, our new, like next young ultra baller to be entering the sport? You know, I think he's got a couple years of race results and a couple hundred milers already. Um, you know, recently second at the burning river 50 over in Ohio, I believe. Um, seven and a half hours, the winner of the burning river 50 is also actually running, uh, Havelina as well. That's Jeremy Pope. Um, so I'm just, I'm just curious to see what he does. Cause you know, some 18 year olds have gone on to have like great ultra success, like Jared Hazen, like still crushing it. Um, so it, you know, who knows what, what his, his ceiling might be in the next few years for races like this. Um, what else? Oh, and and then also, you know, Dakota Jones. Um, I'm I'm very intrigued by Dakota Jones. You know, announcing. You know, what, maybe it was after Hard Rock when he announced he was going to run Havelina, um, which like that's a pretty aggressive just change in scenery going from Hard Rock to Havelina in the same summer. Um, you know, not. I think something that's definitely well within his wheelhouse. I mean, Dakota's had some really good results on more runnable ultras, just not at the hundred mile distance. I mean, he's got a six twenty to his name at Lake Sonoma and there's only a very small handful of people who've run faster than that. Um, and so I guess the big question will just be like, did he get to recover from hard rock and put in a, 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 a Havelina training block to get the running legs back under him? Um, yeah, it's gonna be gonna be an interesting race for sure. What do you guys got for interesting people? Hmm. Yeah, how about you, Leah? What do you think? Um, Pat Reagan's just so interesting to me, and I'm excited to see how he does this year. Um, your podcast with him was awesome, Finn. I think there's so much I just didn't know about him, and something I love is just how dialed he is. I don't think there's anyone in the field that has as much attention to detail that he has. Um, and especially combined with like pacing and course knowledge. And uh, one of the stats I dug into a little bit was like Brett mentioned, he's won this race three times. His fastest time was in 2017. 
Um, but in 2019, he re- I think he ran 10 minutes slower than his 2017 time. But looks like he was spot on his 2017 splits through 100K. He ran exactly 631 both years for 52.2 miles and then ran 739 for his 100K both years as well. So it's like he went out there. He was dialed. He's like, let's see if we can replicate this. Let's probably try to go under three out, 13 hours. And, um, you know, he ended up slowing down by 10 minutes more. But if he's able to replicate that like that, I just don't see him running any slower than 1330 this year. He's just solid dialed. And I think especially with a good weather year, um, he's just going to be up at the top of in the podium, a podium position for sure. But he's going to be a fun one to watch just because like he's probably just a metronome out there. Um, yeah, I also echo everything you feel about Dakota. Um, he moved to Salt Lake a couple months ago and I just, glan- he doesn't put a lot of stuff on Strava, but I glanced at it last night and just like some of the routes he's been doing to prep for this. I'm like, just the weirdest routes you could possibly put together to <laughs> just do some Havelina training around here. But I think it's probably serving him pretty well, but I'm like, I don't think anybody has ever run that route ever before. So kind of inspiring. <laughs> I know, I'm like 40 miles going big mountain, Lambs Canyon. Um, yeah, cool stuff. And I think Arlen will be an interesting one to follow too. Just he's had a big year. I am very curious how much he has left. Um, I noticed on his Strava, he likes to kind of comment the day after a race and say, oh, like that didn't take much out of me. Um, But I am curious, like, you know, how much is left after a big year like he just had? Um, Is he able to throw down as fast as a year as he raced last year here? I guess we'll see. Um, And then what else here? Oh, yeah. the um, Oh, there's a wild card that he didn't make my top five, but this is just a fun story is Stephen Cornelius. Um, I think he is originally from Florida, might live in Colorado now. Um, I had a friend bump into him at Run Rabbit this year where he ran. He got sixth place. And when she was talking to him about his plans, he said he was going to try to hang with Arlen Glick as long as possible in Run Rabbit. Um, And I was looking at his training and he put it down three 20 milers in a row around 730 pace. And I think on Strava, his one quote was 742 pace is the assignment Havelina 100 for the golden ticket. And that was on October 8th. And if you calculate 742 pace to 100 miles, that is 12 hours and 50 minutes. So excited wow. to follow Stephen Cornelius. Great fun. I think, um, you know, if he can do it, that'll be a fun race to watch as well. <laughs> this well, is just going to be our Strava find of the week at our Owen Thornton. Yeah. <laughs> I want to throw in a couple names. The first is Matt Daniels. I think this guy is so incredibly overdue for another great performance. He's just gotten unlucky with injuries and sickness at CCC. Some bad luck took like a bad fall and almost broke his jaw, I think. But if you look at his Strava, he's been putting in some mammoth work on like he, on that famous Magnolia Road mm-hmm. uh, thing in, in Boulder. He's just putting down crazy times. Had that course record at Bear Chase. He's just... If, and he's done well in the desert before he has that course record at Black Canyon. I think he's somebody who I expect to be with like Dakota Jones and Pat Regan most of the day. And then the, one other person I want to mention is uh, Utah native Mark Hammond. Uh, he's an incredibly, he first of all, he loves 100 milers, but he's incredibly versatile at the distance too. So he likes to dabble in both the mountains and these flat uh, 100 mile efforts. And um I got to think he's motivated to get at least one more crack at Western because he's had he's had thir- two podiums at Western and a fifth place 
and then I think he DNF'd in 2021. But if he can put in a performance to get close to that podium, especially if the tickets come down, uh, he he could be very interesting in this race. And he's just he's a veteran at the distance, so. Yeah. Those are my two to add. Yeah, he kind of um, fills the same bucket as Pat Regan to me. Like he hasn't had a stellar standout race since 2020 or before. Um, I think a lot of his races in the last couple of years haven't been quite what he wanted. So I, yeah, I, I'm not sure what he, he doesn't share a lot to Strava. I've followed him on Instagram and looks like he's been doing a lot of high Alpine stuff as well. Um, probably getting it while it's good. But yeah, I'm curious how specific his training is for Havelina. And then one more person we didn't mention, um, and they definitely they made my top five, um, is Jonathan Rea. He got a golden ticket at Bandera last year. He's super fast. He, um, I think he beat Drew Holman by a couple minutes at Quad Rock this year and almost missed the course record by like three minutes. Uh, had a bad day at Western State, so I'm sure he's trying to, uh, you know, get back in there and race to his potential next year. But I think he's definitely one to keep an eye out for. Agreed. Yeah. Leah, what are your picks? Top five and then uh, golden tickets. We're going right in. Um, can we go like six? Because uh, sure. yeah. six <laughs> is a good number. And I got Brett Hornig in number six. So oh, Brett's going to have a stellar race out there. He's going to be number six. Um, I have, oh, we didn't even talk about Nick Corey. Nick Corey's uh, just so solid. Uh, he's dialed. He knows what he's doing. And I think Brett should stick with Nick as long as he can. Um, so I got yep. Nick in fifth. Uh, Dakota Jones, I've got in fourth. I think he's, he's going to go out. He's going to probably not be the leader, but, um, he's going to be kind of in that chase pack, but not sure if he can hold on for a top three spot. So I've got him in fourth, Pat Reagan. He's going to run 1330 for third place. Got Arlen Glick in second and Jonathan Rea for first. Oh, okay. All right, I'll give mine because, uh, Lee, I think we have similar, well, kind of similar uh, picks. For me, I'm going to go seven deep. I got Mark Hammond in seven, Nick Curry six, Arlen Glick five, Pat Regan four, Dakota Jones three, John Rea two, Matt Daniels first. And I think Matt and John will take the two tickets. And I totally agree with you about John Rea. I think uh, he's an incredible runner. And I think he made like one or two small mistakes at Western late in the race, but he was on pace to go, I think, top five there if uh, things had held together. So, Jeez, yeah. Janet. Finn, it sounds like you have none of the top guys dropping. Somebody's going to drop. No, <laughs> someone's going to drop, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I did say it was going to be reckless. <laughs> I think, I, I think I'm the most, I'm the most concerned about Arlen just because of his workload this year, um, and then I'm the only thing about Nick Curry is like I just think he's going to pace it. Super smart as always. He's probably going to negative split, but I think, um, and I, I know Leah, you voice concerns about this. Like he, he may just end up running too conservative to be in contention. I think it's going to take a super aggressive day to get it done. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Yeah. You can, you can only bank on blowups too so much. Yeah, that's um, true. Especially on and, a good weather day. Yeah. And like, while they, there definitely will still be some explosions at the race. It does seem that like each year in this sport, the catastrophes are getting fewer and fewer per race. Like, you know, that was kind of the theme of UTMB this year of like there were blowups, but it just didn't seem like three quarters of the field blew up like they do every year. It's like, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's just kind of the nature of the sport and where we're at right now. Um, 
let's see, what do I got for my top five? Um, I've got Nick Curry in fifth, I think. And I think that's going to come, you know, in the last lap of passing a handful of people, uh, just hammering from 80 to 100. Uh, I've got Dakota Jones in fourth, and I could see it going a similar way with Hard Rock. Um, I guess maybe he'll be would respond to that being like, well, no, I learned from Hard Rock. I won't do that again. But you never know. Um, I think I think he'll go right out with the leaders because he's he's speedy enough. Well, he'll he'll be able to handle that. Um, I just don't know if like the very first crack at like a super fast flatter hundred will happen uh, quite this year. For third on to start the podium, I have Jonathan Rea um, because yeah, his only loss has been his only loss since September of 2019 was Western States this year. Other than that, I think he, he's won every single race that he's done, uh, at least according to Ultra Sign Up. If, if, it's, if it's not on that, it doesn't count, um, <laughs> which is becoming an even hotter and hotter take. So I've got, I've got Jonathan Ray on my podium. And then second, I've got Patrick Reagan. And win and course record and finally a race that he feels good about for this year is is going to be Arlen Glick. I'm I'm done betting against Arlen. I think he's he's just like I think, you know, I yeah, maybe maybe the other hot take. I feel like he's probably racing, you know, a little bit too too hot. Um but a lot of people also said that about the way Jim Wamsley came into trail and ultra running, where it was like, he's just cooking himself way too much too often. And, you know, like eight years later, he's still in our sport and running really well. So, uh, <laughs> you figured it out, uh, you know, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with Arlen on this one. Um, and I, I think, I think there's enough, enough, going to be enough firepower up front to to lay the pressure on Arlen to to get him under the the old course record i i should say i have the yeah. same the, the same concerns i have for annie on the women's side i i have for uh, arlen on the men's side i think that pivoting straight from a really good hard effort at run rabbit straight to javelina in a five or six week span is a lot to ask especially when that's been built on top of a bunch of other uh, efforts earlier in the year. Yeah. And I will say too, um, racing in new shoes that you haven't worn for your last couple hundreds. Um, I think he's been a Hoka guy to date. So that'll be mm. interesting to see how that plays out as well. Great point. Yeah, totally. Um, Lee, I know you mentioned sometimes in your picks and I, I forgot to ask this on the, on the women's side. So maybe we'll just bunch them together. Uh, Starting with you, what time wins the men's race and what time wins the women's race? Yeah, I do think the men's race will go sub 13. Um, not too far. I think like 1255 is what we'll see. And I think the spread will be like probably, you know, that 1255, 13 hour range to about 1430 for these top five. Um for women, I don't think the course record is going to be touched. Camille's time is pretty extraordinary on this course. Um, I think it'll be in the 14-hour range, but like 
maybe like 1445 to win it for women. Um, maybe closer to 15 hours though. Um, but I think all these women that I put in the top five, it's going to be like a 15 hour to 16 hour race for these top five. It's going to be close is my guess. There's not going to be like any specific standout or like any huge gaps. I think there's gonna be a lot going Mm. on. So no course record is being threatened on the women's side this year, in your opinion? I don't think so. No, it's going to be a while. Yep. I think it, I think it helps that, you know, they're all probably trying to get that ticket to Western, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to lay back a little bit. How about you, Brett? Any differences there? Uh, No, like winning times. I I actually have like almost identical. I said 1255 on the men's side, but you will notice. So I have Arlen Glick and Patrick Reagan going first and second, which Mm. Arlen's already in Western States. Patrick said he wasn't going to take it, which just allows me to bank on that explosion miracle to trickle (laughs) down some golden tickets so all in the, all in the free trail fantasy strategy. And, you know, you know, like, like they say, you got to sit and kick off old St. Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think I saw that on on Twitter somewhere. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I got, I got to make one, I got to make one, uh, one, one bold prediction, slightly irrelevant, but uh, you heard it here on single track first. Brett Hornig is going sub 14 at Javelina. And, and that's going to be because your face, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to try to pace the last 20 miles. And I'm also predicting that I'm going to get dropped with five miles to go. Oh man, that would be so cool. I've, <laughs> I've dreamt of a day where I get to come in at the end and they'll be like, where's your pacer? And then I'm like, I dropped him. So far, that's never, ever been the case, but maybe this will be the one. Yeah, I think it could happen. I think it could happen this time around. Yeah, it's going to be a party Um, out there. Um, Oh, I didn't I didn't say right on ladies predicted winning time. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I think right in that 1440 range was going to be is going to be the, you know, right around the winning time. But I think there's, you know well more than just one person who could potentially mm-hmm. run that time this year. Um, oh yeah. I guess my, like, I don't know, hot take, maybe, maybe also just like mutually agreed upon by everyone. Uh, in terms of like the course records, just looking at it, I was like, yeah, Camille's course record is, I think significantly better than the men's course record. I think by, so like, too. Like I was shot. thinking normally when you see, when you see course records and races, like women are like a minute per mile or so um, different from the men's, which would then say the men's course record should be down further in like the 1240 range. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the women's course record is going to be a substantially harder one to break than the men's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one might take some time. Well, this has been awesome. Did we, uh, did I miss anything in our, our table of contents here? Is there anything else, any final thoughts or things left to cover on this race? Hmm. Uh, I'm just like, oh, I, I forgot to mention earlier, like just do, we didn't really put an emphasis on like how massive this race is. Like it's one of the oh, biggest yeah. ultras in the U S I think the JFK 50 miles, the biggest with about 1200 mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Um, this hundred mile has 705 people on the entrance list. There's an additional 290 in the hundred K and then 230 in the 30 K, which starts in the evening. So all that on a 20 mile loop is going to be mayhem and 
kind of like mayhem in all the best ways. I'm really excited for that and just like experience that. Basically what you're saying is I am for sure coming home with COVID after this race. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'll be outside. All that good stuff. <laughs> just don't just only use your own bottles. Yeah, when Finn got COVID at Canyons this year, it'll just be like this golden ticket race. COVID. Every time. <laughs> um, well, right on guys. This is any, any final thoughts from you, Leah? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. It's going to be a fun one to follow. And I wish I could be there, you know, to spectate Finn getting dropped, but you know, I'll live vicariously <laughs> through social media. There will be a when, live when stream. When do you leave for Thailand? Uh, I leave on Friday for Thailand. Um, so Friday, Friday, Saturday timeframe. So I'll be in Thailand by Sunday, by the time Brett's done and in sixth place running 14 hours. <laughs> Sweet. Oh Yeah. Well, awesome. Leah, Brett, thanks as always for doing this. And uh, here's to another exciting weekend in the world of ultra trail running. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsored discount codes in the show notes. Thanks again. We really appreciate your support. Really appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.